Well, good morning. <clears throat> Would you like to see more spiritual power in your life? Would you like to see God work in your life on a more regular basis? I would hope that you would answer yes. But why is it that we don't? Why don't we see greater spiritual power in our lives on a, on a regular basis? I mean, Jesus said of his disciples and us to follow that we would do greater things than he did. Why don't we see greater spiritual power in our lives? There are a lot of wonderful things that have been done throughout history in the name of Jesus Christ. Hospitals built, schools built, missions established, churches planted, men, women, and children coming to faith in Christ, the poor helped, the widows and orphans helped, people set free from addiction, communities transformed. A lot of wonderful things that we can celebrate. But the opening question remains, what about us? Why do we not see God do more powerful things through us on a regular basis? Why do we not see greater spiritual power in our lives? Scripture reveals a number of reasons. We won't get into all of them today. A couple that we won't get into is one is habitual sin. When we, when we choose to do what we know is wrong and we persist in it, eventually God's spirit is squelched and we lack power and vitality spiritually in our lives. Another reason that we're not going to get into today is, is sometimes God allows us to go through a dry period where we, we don't sense God. We, it just feels routine. And, and, and God uses those times sometimes to draw us deeper, to pursue him deeper, to go further, to go deeper uh, and, and emerge on the other side stronger with a more vital walk with Christ. But the two things we'll be looking at today are not either one of those. And they're found in the passage in Mark as we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. It's Mark 9, starting at verse 14. And it's a passage where the disciples of Jesus experience a lack of spiritual power that stymies their ability to help somebody in desperate need. Let's pick it up, Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 14. A bit of context first. In the first part of chapter 9, Jesus takes three of the disciples, kind of the inner circle, James, Peter, and John, and he pulls them away from the other nine. He leaves the other nine behind, and he takes those three to a mountain. And while they're there on that mountain, they, uh, these three disciples, they experience something that's unbelievable. Nobody else has really experienced it like they did. The, the gap, the curtain between heaven and earth is pulled back, and they see a glimpse of Jesus' divine nature and, and glory. And he sees, they see Jesus talking with Elijah and Moses, the two greatest prophets of the Old Testament, and they're just totally thrown for a loop. They're discombobulated. They don't know what sides, what's going on, and they're just stunned in awe as, as you would be. The curtain falls again, and then Jesus and the three decide to return to the other nine. And we pick it up in verse 14. When they came to the other disciples... They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit 
but they could not. So while Jesus and the other three are away, a father brings his son to the disciples. He knows they're associated with Jesus. He knows that Jesus has done things like this in the past. He asks them to help. They try, and they fail. They gave it a shot. It didn't work out. How does Jesus respond? You unbelieving generation, verse 19. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, this is a kind of, kind of harsh. You know, you can hear the exasperation, the frustration in Jesus' voice, maybe even the, the disgust. I mean, Jesus wasn't around at the time. The boy was in desperate condition. The father was pleading for the help. They'd seen Jesus do before. They thought they'd give it a shot. They failed. I mean, you can't blame him for trying. And Jesus comes down hard on him. I mean, think about it. If you're in an office, you're the IT guy, and you're training a couple younger fellows to kind of follow in your footsteps. You leave for a day, and a computer virus attacks your network. Um, they don't have a lot of experience, but they give it a shot, and they fail. You come back. Do you castigate them and insult them and, and throw up your hands in disgust? No, you wouldn't be a very good boss if you did that. So what's going on here? We see part of the answer in Jesus' first words. You unbelieving generation. Is Jesus talking to the crowd, to the disciples, to the Father? I'd say yes. Because clearly the disciples have some belief in Jesus. They've been following him. They give up their lives to follow him. They're trying to do what he has done in the past. The Father has some belief because he's bringing his son to Jesus to, to be healed. But, but there's some doubt at some level that Jesus identifies. Look at verse 20. So they brought him the boy. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions, and he fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It is often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father answered, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Now I love, I love this father's prayer because it's honest, because it's heartfelt, because it's true to experience. I, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. I mean, I've, I've felt that way. I, I've said that to God. I mean, I, I know what the Bible says. I've seen miraculous things happen in the lives of other people. I've seen God intervene. But sometimes, you know, you look at your own life, your own situation, your own relationships, and you, you, you kind of doubt. Can, I know he can theoretically, but will he really do it in, in this situation? You know, and, and at times like this, I, I pray, God, I know you can do the impossible. I've read about it in your word. I've seen it in the lives of other people, but I'm struggling to believe and appropriate for myself. Lord, help me to believe. Help me to trust you. Why do we not see greater power in our lives spiritually? One factor can be a lack of faith in the power of Jesus to do all things. Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. That's about faith. No qualifiers, no caveats. Everything is possible. So, so faith has some role, obviously, in our lives. Now you might say, well, what about when we ask God to do something in our life and it doesn't happen? Does that mean that we fail to have enough faith? 
Is, is, is that what it means? We need to have more faith? Not necessarily. And not in all cases. I mean, there are times and situations where, where God's will is different than ours. Surprise. In those situations, it doesn't mean that we lack faith. It just means that we aren't in tune with God's will in that context. I mean, the disciples aren't always in tune with God's will for Jesus. Just before this, in chapter 8, Pastor West looked at it last week. Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, by the way, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. And then I'll be raised again from the dead. Peter says, no, 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 no. That's not what's going to happen. That's not what we want for you. And Jesus rebukes him. But there there are times when a lack of faith is is like a kink in a hose. It has something to do with the power in our lives. You know, this past fall I overseeded our backyard, which meant I did a lot of watering and dragging hoses here and there and sprinklers and moving them. And I had this one hose. It's it's an old gray hose. I use it because it's so long, but it's really stiff, but it kinks up. No matter how I try, it always kinks up. And you have to go back and you have to unkink it to unleash the power of the water, to run to the hose, to run to the sprinkler. You know, faith can be like that. You know, there, there are things in our lives that can get, put a kink in the conduit of faith, in the flow of faith, get squelched the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm not claiming to know how this all works all the time, but it's evident in the stories of Jesus that a deep, strong faith is, is often and usually tied to Jesus doing something powerful and miraculous. Not in every case, because then we jump to the wrong conclusion, which is that we have something to do with it. Our faith manipulates God into doing something. But the power and the glory is God and God's alone. But faith is, is a channel, a conduit, a hose that God uses to unleash his power, and it flows through. And when we lack faith, often the power of God and our life is squelched and less regularly experienced. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that this is a, a formula that's true in every situation. I'm not saying we can name it and claim it. People have been hurt and, and misled by the teaching that if you just have enough faith, God will do what you want. But what happens when he doesn't do what you want? You blame yourself and feel this happened to this person because I didn't have enough faith when I was praying. Or you think it doesn't work and you lose faith in the church and or God. So faith is not a formula that we use to get God to do what we want. But in Mark 9, Jesus makes the connection between faith and his power being unleashed. The father says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. If, you know, and Jesus, the father says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. What's the father doing here? He's asking Jesus to unkink the hose. Lord, I believe, help me, help me overcome my unbelief. Now, is there a situation in your life where you're lacking faith, where you're having a hard time Believing that God can intervene and do something great. Maybe it's a health situation, yours or somebody that you know and love. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your relationship with your kids or your your parents. Maybe it's about somebody you love. They're far from God and you're afraid that they'll never come back. 
Maybe it's a personal struggle that you've been wrestling with for years and you just can't overcome it. God is the God of the impossible. There's nothing too difficult for God. If you believe that when you come to God with, an in, with seemingly impossible situations, I encourage you, take a page from the, the, the father of this boy. Lord, I believe. I'm struggling to believe at times. Help me overcome my belief, unbelief. Strengthen my faith. Lord, I believe. That's an honest prayer. That's a prayer that God will honor. doesn't mean that he will do what you want in that situation, what you think is best, but he will honor that prayer. He will strengthen your faith and he will move in your life in greater power. Let's pick it up in verse 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, <coughs> I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And then the disciples naturally have questions. Why couldn't we drive it out? This kind, Jesus said, can only come out by prayer. Why do we see greater spiritual power in our lives on a, where we not see it on a regular basis? Because... I think often it's because we don't seek God's will in our prayers. How did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? He begins with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He begins to teach us how to pray by focusing on who God is and asking for God's will to be done. Why? Because we often begin with our will. And we never get around to submitting our will to God's will. Jesus modeled this for us in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. He says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He would have preferred not to have to go through the pain and the agony and the torture and the humiliation of the cross. But he prayed for the Father's will to be done. He surrendered his will to the Father's. And because he did, God's incredible power was released through Jesus' death and through his resurrection. If we want to see greater spiritual power in our lives, we are to pray in accordance with God's will. And if we're not sure what God's will is for us, we can acknowledge that and ask for his will to be done. And if we know what God's will is and we're not praying for it to be done, then don't be surprised when our lives lack spiritual power. Surrender. Surrender is the key to spiritual power. Giving our lives, giving up our will asking for his will to be done, trusting him to know and to do what's best. So why do we not see greater spiritual power in our lives? We don't see it because we don't pray in tune with God's will and because we don't fully believe that Jesus can do the impossible. So let me ask you a few questions. Can Jesus bring healing to a broken marriage? Yes, he can. Can Jesus... Free somebody from addiction. Yes, he can. Can Jesus bring freedom from a nagging sin? Yes, he can. Can Jesus forgive you for the things that you can't forgive yourself? Yes, he can. Can Jesus do great and powerful things in and through you and your life? Yes, he can. 
Before we close, I want you to identify a situation in your life where you would like to see Jesus work in power in your life. Think through it. And I encourage you at some point today to write it down, put it in the margin of your Bible, save it on your phone. And then I want you to pray for Jesus to strengthen your faith and your belief that he can and will move in that situation. And then I want you to to pray for his will to be done. It's not what you want, but his will to be done in that situation. This kingdom would come in and through your life. Do you believe that Jesus can do the impossible? He can, and, and he will. How can we see more spiritual power in our lives by trusting in the power of Jesus to do all things and by praying earnestly for God's will to be done, surrendering our will to him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example and the life and the teaching of Jesus. Lord, we, we, we believe that you can do all things, that with you nothing is impossible. So, Father, we come to you and we pray for each person in this room that wherever we are at, whatever situation we have doubts and struggles with, strengthen our belief, Lord. Help us to overcome our unbelief strengthen our belief that we would trust in you. We'd surrender our, our lives and our wills to you. And then we would see you, Lord, move in powerful and mighty ways for your glory. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ, and that through him all things are possible. Amen.